0: Father, we thank you for your eternal mercy that we'll just receive it forever and ever and one day be with you and uh, just to see you and, and your merciful face looking at us, embracing us, uh, is, is just so great. And so thank you for this time we've had to respond to you, to consider you, to think about who you are, what you've done for us, even to hear a couple testimonies about <clears throat> what, what you're doing in individual lives here. We know that if we all stayed and we all shared, we'd be here a long time talking about what we see you doing, and so we're, we're so thankful that you're a big God working on behalf of your people, both here at this church and around the entire world in, in many, many different ways, so we thank you, and we're humbled by that, that you've cared for us so well. What I pray as we go into this time of looking at your word that uh, you'd help my voice and sustain it, and uh, that everything that you want communicated would come out, and the things that you don't want to be said would not be said. I Thank you for this time. Thank you for your word, that it means so much to us, and we want to submit to it in all things. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. All right. Um, Kids, 3rd, 4th, 5th grade, we have a special set of sermon notes that are a little more interactive for you. Those are in the back. If I could have Mr. Dave Gerlock, did you grab those? We got them? Okay, so this time, when I have you come up, we'll have you go right back here onto uh, my left, this side, and grab those. They're in a little basket. So head on back, grab those, and go back to your seat. While you're doing that... Um, trying to simplify a few things on Sunday morning. Uh, two things you'll notice that might be, look a little different. In your sermon notes, you actually have the discussion questions that we talk about. Uh, we always have our cross-training time about 10.45 in here. We talk about the sermon. Those are on your sermon notes themselves. So check those out. That's where they are for the discussion later. Um, and then the other thing is, in your, in your pews, you'll see a... Um, connection card. If you're new here and you want to let us know your name, hey, I showed up today, I'm new, Um, you're our guest this morning. And so there's a connection card in front of you. That's been streamlined. It only now has your name, your email, and if you have any prayer requests. Obviously, anybody with prayer requests can fill that thing out, drop it in the offering, I'll get it, I'll make sure the elders see it, and, and we'll be praying for you. So, the connection card in your in your pew is a lot simpler now, and that's intentional so instead of having all that information, I'll just put your name, email, and then we'll send you a welcome email back so uh, okay, no one's going to show up at your doorstep and uh, demand an audience, okay, even though you'd like to see me at your doorstep, right right okay, all right that wasn't very convincing, but all right, whatever. <laughs> <clears throat> okay. So, for those joining us this morning from other places, uh, we're doing. We're in the middle. We're on the tail end, actually, now, of a ten-week discipleship course called Rooted. Eighty percent of the church, <coughs> excuse me, is in it, and so that's pretty awesome. Um, the memory verse this week for Rooted is Matthew twenty-five forty. Are you ready? The King will reply. Truly, I tell you, whatever you did for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did unto me. Pretty good. Pretty good. I was taking my kids around the neighborhood last night for candy, and uh, one house made me recite it before they gave candy out. You know who you are. On the spot. I thought they wanted Grayson to say it for a second. I was like, that's not happening. That's not happening yet, so. I'm glad you've come clean, Aaron. (laughs) I did all right, that's right. Okay, so turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Matthew 25, (coughs) since that's where we're hanging out today. My goal is to preach the verse, (coughs) to preach the verse That we're memorizing and the surrounding verses around it, of course. This is Matthew 25, and we'll start in 31. Probably one of the most poetic things Jesus ever said. It's it's just beautiful in, in how he says this. It's not strictly a parable, it but it has some parabolic elements to it, like sheep and goats. But it's not strictly a parable. Matthew twenty-five thirty-one says, When the Son of Man comes in His glory, and all the angels with Him, He will sit on His throne in heavenly glory. All the nations will be glad- gathered before Him, and He will separate the people one from another, as a shepherd separates sheep from the goats. And shepherds actually do that. Um, he will put the sheep on His right, the goats on His left. The king will say to those on his right, Come. when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick and in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. Then he'll say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you didn't invite me in. I needed clothes and you didn't clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you didn't look after me. They will also answer, "Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you?" He will reply, "I tell you the truth, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you didn't do for me, then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life again, one of the most poetic and beautiful teachings of Jesus, and he has many beautiful poetic teachings. you think about the beatitudes that 's up there, but this is certainly one of them. Um, Jesus addresses needs in the world, the, the need the world has. I know many of you have heard these statistics, but I just want to say them again so we remind ourselves what people are facing, what the least of these are facing. Things like this. Nearly one half of the world's population, that's more than 3 billion people, live on less than $2.50 a day. That's over half the world lives on two fifty a day. More than 1.3 billion live in extreme poverty, less than $1. 25 a day. The number of people who don't have enough food to eat in the world right now, 805 million don't have enough food to eat right now. How many people don't have access to clean drinking water? That number is 750 million. I remember uh, teaching this. I remember saying these kind of statistics in in a youth ministry setting. And when it comes to clean water, the issue, of course, is the illnesses that come when you don't have clean water, like diarrhea. And I remember um, people kind of chuckling at that in a youth ministry setting because we joke like that. But um, diarrhea caused by inadequate drinking water, sanitation, and hand hygiene kills an estimated 842,000 people a year globally. Or that's 2,300 people a day. A day. 2,300 people today will die because they haven't had clean drinking water. Um, and that's just some of it. You know, I, We could say a fourth of the human beings on the planet live without electricity. That's 1.6 billion. Um, and we could go on and on. But there are people who are certainly categorized as the least of these. I could go on and do more statistics and talk about the Christians in the world that are being persecuted. Um, that, that would be a good number to look at as well to, to understand that. Uh, the numbers could go on and on about f- people hurting, people in pain, people hungry. And then we have a passage like this which is one of the most beautiful again in the entire New Testament entire the Bible and we look at it and it's it should shake us up a little bit. Let me identify the people first of all before we teach this passage. Who is the Son of Man and the King? So if you're you're reading along with us, Jesus says in verse 31, When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and then he drops down to verse 34, it says, Then the King will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father. So who is the Son of Man? Who is the King? Who is this person? We know it's Jesus. How do you know it's Jesus? Well, check out Daniel on the screen behind me. Daniel in the Old Testament has a vision at night, and he says, I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was giving authority, glory, and sovereign power. All peoples, nations, and men of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. So in this passage, Daniel says, There's a son of man, third line down, And this son of man has a kingdom. So the son of man is a king. So it's pretty clear that Jesus is talking about himself and very appropriately says, when the son of man comes into his glory. And then the king is going to say, because the son of man is the king according to the prophet Daniel. That's how it is. So Jesus is the son of man. He's the king we're talking about here. He's the one separating sheep. From goats. So who are these sheep from goats? Well, uh, a couple passages we'll we'll talk about how sheep are. Well, Jesus talks about his sheep and he says, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them. They know me. So if you follow Jesus' voice, in other words, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, if you put your faith in him, you're a sheep. If you haven't put your faith in him, you're a goat. That's how it works. Uh, The next passage, though, is interesting. I think we ought to consider this. When uh, Peter says, you're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. You're a holy nation. So the passage reads that one day, all the nations, verse 32, all the nations will be gathered before him. He'll separate the people. So apparently there's going to be everybody gathered together, all the nations, all the people, all in one place. And then the king comes and says, you're over here and you're over here. That's what shepherds do. Shepherds actually literally do separate sheep from goats. And one day the king will separate them like that. Not based on nationality. He'll separate them based on faith in him. So our primary identity, if you think one day, nationality, even though John sees all the different nationalities worshiping, there's one nationality coming out of all the other nations, and that's people who believe in Christ. First identity, Christian. Second identity, American, and the rest. But first identity, Christian. That's the top one. That's it. Because one day he's going to separate, and it's not based on who's American and who's not. And unfortunately in our country, I think there's a lot of people who think because they're American and because they're around a bunch of Christians, that makes them a Christian. But clearly he's going to separate American from American and those that are sheep and those that are goats. Okay. The last person we need to identify here is the, um, who is the least of these? Okay. Now, um, I've been in different settings, different churches, and the most frequent interpretation I've heard for this, and I just want to tell it to you, and it's okay if you think this, I just don't think it's true. Um. The least of these is anybody that's in need. Anybody, anywhere that is hungry, naked, in prison, sick. It's anybody and everybody, anywhere that's in need. And Jesus is saying, when you help them, you've helped me. Now, the problem with that interpretation is, I mean, it's not that it it can't be right. It's just probably not right. Right. And a lot of scholars say that that's the answer. When you come up to a question in the Bible and you say, well, who are the least of these? And you start to ask yourself that. um, When you're studying the Bible, you want to look at other passages and say, what do these other verses say that might inform the answer to that question? Are there other verses that would speak into it? And the fact is we don't have other verses that say everybody's the least of these. Everybody is Jesus to you. Everybody in need. We don't have other verses that say that. But we do have verses like this. Matthew twelve forty eight. Jesus replied to him, Who is my mother? Who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, Here are my mother. Here are my brothers. Whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. So that's pretty clear. you're related to Jesus if you do his will, if you're one of his disciples. That's evidence. Next passage. Jesus says in Matthew 10. Again, this is all Matthew. So again, the same writer that wrote this part, that recorded Jesus' words, wrote this as well. If anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of of these little ones, because he is my disciple, I tell you the truth, he will certainly not lose his reward. So again, we're talking about judgment. We're talking about rewards. And Jesus, you, you give a cup of cold water to a child in my name, you'll ne- you'll never lose your reward. You're one of my disciples. So looking at those verses, knowing now that we have evidence that uh, who are the least of these that you're helping, that you're serving, it, it who are and Jesus says it's like you've done it to me. I think there's ample evidence to say the least of these are Jesus' disciples who are in need. They're the ones locked up in prisons around the world. They're the little kids that are in the World Vision programs or Compassion International programs where they're learning about Jesus and they believe in Jesus and they're singing to him, but they need your support because they don't have what they need to eat. Now, I'm not saying you can't help other kids, We should, and I'll get to that a little bit later. But Jesus is talking about these kids, these adults that are in need, and they are his disciples. So a lot of people would like to see this passage be super broad, and I'm not saying they're wrong, or they're, I think they're wrong, but I'm not saying I know 100% that they're wrong. But I think, biblically speaking, that's who the least of these refers to, if you want to get a very biblical interpretation of it. That's where I would go with it. Now, Jesus talks about helping the least of these, visiting them in prison, feeding them, clothing them, doing all these things. And and the way he says it is, um, he says, one day the supper is going to separate sheep from goats, and the sheep get to go to eternal life, and the goats get to go to eternal punishment, this fire. And, and his rationale is, he says, For I was hungry, and you fed me. So so it sounds like the reason Jesus is saying the sheep get in and the goats do not is they fed Jesus, they clothed Jesus, they visited Jesus. And you might say, well, that doesn't work because we're saved by faith and not by works. So let's say it like this. I mean, we know that's true. Jesus' point then has to be that Our merciful acts prove our faith. Our merciful acts, our acts of mercy to other people, prove that we're really Christians. And and it's it's such a strong proof that on the last day when judgment happens, Jesus can say, you did these merciful things, you're in. But it's faith in Jesus' death, right? Yes, absolutely, 100%. You can't earn your salvation. It's by grace you've been saved, not by works, so that no one can boast. Only God can boast. You can't boast about doing enough. I think it's like this. I know uh, someone who loves uh, uh, designer women's handbags. I'm sure none of you ladies love those. <clears throat> and, and she loves buying them at consignment shops and, and online. And, and one of the things she knows is what's a fake and what's real. And, and so you can look inside and see there's a tag in here. This brand has this in it, so you can tell a fake from the real thing. And this is how you tell fake from real thing by merciful actions. Have you ever found yourself tempted because you you see one of your brothers and sisters in Christ, and they're not acting like a brother and sister in Christ? They they actually they're, they're acting very unchristian, and and they've done something that hurt you. If I said how many of you have been hurt by a Christian, I imagine I'd probably get a hundred percent raising of the hands if you've been hurt by a Christian have you ever, have you ever said to yourself in those moments I, I really doubt they're a Christian I know doubts come in and I know we still have to make judgments about sin that's very biblical to make a judgment about this is sin and this is not but one day all the fakers will be revealed that, that's what Jesus is saying if you're faking it and you think you're a Christian because you're an American or because you went to Sunday school when you were a kid or, or because you show up on Christmas and Easter. You know, that, that's just faking it. And, and one day, the shepherd's going to come, the king, the son of man, and say, you guys are faking it over here. And they're going to be surprised. Let's talk about that a little bit more. I, I, I'm kind of uh, bleeding into my, uh, my whole thing here. You know, when I want to show you this. Okay, Number one. Well, let's explain this whole proving faith thing. What does it mean to prove your faith like this? Number one, um, Jesus' sheep show mercy because they've received mercy. That's pretty simple. The reason we do merciful acts for people in need. By the way, my, when, I, when I use the word mercy, I'm not talking about, um, like, you sinned and I'm going to show you mercy. I'm talking about compassion. That kind of mercy, you know, that that that. I'm taking compassion on you because you're in need. That's a definition of mercy, you know. Okay, so I'm not talking about covering over sin as much as I am being merciful to someone and taking care of them. Um, We show mercy because we've received mercy. Like how many good things has God done for you? How many things can you list? We're in the month of Thanksgiving. We heard two of them this morning. I hope, I really do hope that if we opened it up, we could have just kept going and going and going. If you've received mercy, you want to show mercy. If God has been good to you, you want to be good to other people. Um, that's just kind of, just makes a lot of sense. Um, sometimes, uh, by the way, uh, Pastor Appreciation Month was October. It's in the bulletin. It's in one of your inserts. But I just want to say on behalf of Andrew and I, thank you for all the encouraging cards and, and, and the prayers and, and the words to us. has been wonderful last month. So thank you for that. Um, one of the things that people do for pastors often is, they, they give them desserts. <sighs> I mean, I've had, I've had trays of things, beautiful things. I remember I had this raspberry dessert once, and uh, I, ate, I ate a lot of it. Um, one year I got an apple pie, which was amazing. And mom, if you're listening to this, it wasn't as good as yours, but it was right there. It was right there, Mom. Man. Um, one of the things we often do in our family when we get these desserts is we share them. I mean, I bring them, you know, I you take them to people or, you know, someone's over at the house, someone's visiting us, and it's like, you've got to have a piece of this. You've got to have a slice of this, you know, and we hand it out or we bring it into the office. Andrew doesn't like chocolate, so don't do that. Okay, no chocolate for Andrew. It makes him angry. No, I'm kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> That's a total lie. Um, he doesn't like chocolate, though, so I, I don't share with him that stuff. But um, when I get desserts, and maybe it's just a calorie thing. I need to share this thing. If it's apple pie, you're getting nothing. You're getting nothing. I'm not sharing that. It's not happening. But but this is kind of what we do. Um, we, we've received from the Lord, so we ought to bless other people with what we've received. And it's interesting that sometimes... We're totally in the mood to share. We're totally in the mood to help people. I've been given this. I want to give it back. Sometimes, though, on the other hand, we look at our bank account and we say, I don't think there's enough there to share with anybody because I've got to do this and that. Christmas is coming. I just want to challenge us to think about that. And if we've received, let's cut the dessert and share it with other people. If you got a good job... Share the wealth you've received. If if you have a talent and it could help somebody, help somebody with it. We've received. Let's give. That's just a biblical model for why we do what we do. God has given us so much. And let's not look at the apple pie and say, it's really all mine. It was given to me. My paycheck says my name on it. Let's share. Let's share. <clears throat> I still won't share my apple pie, though, so if that makes me a bad person, so be it. OK. Um, all right, number two. Uh, so we, we prove our faith because uh, if you receive mercy, you give mercy. It's just in your DNA. But secondly, uh, Jesus' sheep are surprised because they don't see Jesus and other believers. I love this. This is kind of crazy. You know? So, uh, Can we put James 2 up there? Um, Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, Go, I wish you well. Keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about the physical needs, what good is it? In the same way faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. If you, don't, if you see need don't do something, your faith might be dead. Again, it's connecting faith to the proof of your works. Works prove your faith. Um, I love this passage too. I'm going to brag on our churches for a second. Um, I wish you to keep warm and well fed. Two of the major ministries of this church in the Northwoods is food pantry, stay fed. The other one is a firewood ministry, stay warm. You know, One of the rooted groups actually delivered firewood as their rooted group project. Stay warm. Stay well fed. By the way, we'll be there to deliver the firewood. By the way, you can come with us to the food pantry. We'll get you some food. Uh, When we take a benevolence offering, we give money now every month to the food pantry because we want to keep those shelves stocked. Okay? So it's not just saying it. It has to be doing it. Now back to the point. Jesus' sheep are surprised because they don't see Jesus in other believers. So when someone comes in and they don't have what they need, we don't automatically think, well, there's Jesus. That's Jesus right there. When I was in Minneapolis and uh, I was in a line uh, of, of food servers outside at, at, behind this table with my gloves on serving homeless people, serving people that don't have a lunch, you know, th- that's a very cool thing to do. It's a very great thing to do to serve that. But the sad thing is, as I looked at people go through the line, even, even after they came through the line, when, when, when all the people were fed, the, the servers got to like sit down with them at tables and like talk to them. Maybe you, some of you have been in those kind of lines where you've helped people or been on the receiving end of those lines. I didn't think about any of those people. This person is Jesus. Even if they said they believed in Jesus, even if I sat down to lunch with them and they said, yeah, I go to this church over here, I didn't think about that and be like, That's like giving Jesus lunch. Have you ever thought that when you've helped somebody? Has that ever gone through your mind? See, I, I read this and I'm going, there's going to be genuine surprise. There are going to be goats on Judgment Day who say, what? Where were you, Jesus? I would have fed you. If I saw you, I grew about learning about you in Sunday school. I would have fed you. No, no, but you didn't. You didn't, because you didn't take care of my brothers and sisters. You didn't take care of the king's family. And then on the other hand, there's the sheep, us, that are going to be surprised. And so I'm going, Jesus, if this was a big surprise, why did you tell us now? Do you you ever think about that? You know, You, you ruin the surprise. How many of you hate surprises? Any of you hate surprises? I know, Christy, you had to write... Only a few of you, you're in the minority. Well, this passage is for you. Jesus wants to ruin your surprise by telling you beforehand when you serve a Christian that's in need, when you have that compassion child that you're writing letters to and spending thirty five bucks a month for, when when you prayed for that person in prison that you heard about, you know, that that is in prison for being a Christian. When you've taken in somebody to your home that needed a place to stay, when you paid for someone's lunch, you did it to Jesus. You took Jesus out to lunch. You took Jesus into your house. Surprise ruined. Sorry. Um, But Jesus wants to ruin the surprise. He wants you to look at people like this. And honestly, if Jesus was here and he needed a meal, how many of you would take him out? I bet everybody would. There's a hand. Thank you. Thank you. Someone raise your hand. Um, everybody would take him out to lunch. If Jesus was coming through Three Lakes and he said, I had no place to stay tonight, you probably wouldn't say, well, let me put you up in the... You'd say, like, I got a bed. I'll wash my shoes. You can have my bed. You know? Or, or what's the most expensive place I can put him up in, you know? Y- you would do anything. No manger for my Lord. <laughs> you would. You would. If it was Jesus, you would. So then, why aren't you doing that for other people in need if you know that they are Jesus? And one day on Judgment Day, Jesus will say, you did it to me. Why don't we think like that? He wants to ruin our surprise. He wants to ruin it. He wants you to see himself and other people. And number three, let's say this. Only merciful sheep receive the inheritance of eternal life in the kingdom. Only merciful sheep receive the inheritance of eternal life. Now, I'll point you to the verse here. I want you to see it. There are, uh, there are Christians that have said that hell can't possibly be eternal. One of the problems I have with that is, um, and, and one of the reasons they say that is because they say "forever" doesn't mean forever. But if you look at verse 25 or verse 46 of Matthew 25, it says, "Then they, meaning the sheep, i sorry, uh, the goats, will go to eternal punishment, but the righteous, the righteous sheep, to eternal life." Do you see the comparison being made here? Goats get eternal punishment; sheep get eternal life. If the goats get a temporary punishment, then what do the sheep get? A temporary punishment. It's the same word, eternal. It works in both cases. Hell is terrible. It, it's awful. And, and one of the reasons is because it's eternal. I find it interesting, too, that when Jesus talks about hell, he says, uh, you, go to the, you go to the fire... Eternal fire, this is verse 41, prepared for the devil and his angels. I love that. I don't, know, I don't know if this is Jesus' intention. I don't know his heart when he said this. But when I read that, I'll tell you what it does in my soul. The eternal fire is prepared for the devil and demons. That's where they need to go. But if you're here this morning, and right now you know you're the goat, that fire is not prepared for you. If you reject Jesus, you may end up in that fire that's prepared for Satan. But God would rather you turn to him. The fire's stoked, it's hot. Satan's going to go there, the demons are going to go there. You don't have to. I don't know if this is a little bit of that, that whole, uh, he desires none should perish. But I read that, I feel that when I read that. The fire's for the devil. You. If you're a goat, follow Christ. Put your faith in his death on the cross for you. That fire is not prepared for you. But if you remain uh, a goat, that is indeed where you go. You join Satan there. Alright. Um, sheep prove their sheep because they've done these merciful works. Um, How do sheep get saved? Let me make sure I've been very clear for those that don't know it. Jesus has died on the cross for your sin. We're all goats. Jesus died to make us sheep. If you accept his forgiveness, he washes you clean. You become a sheep. You listen to his voice. And you prove it. You prove it by doing merciful, compassionate things for other people. Now... A few applications, and I want to deal with that last that thing I said earlier about like what about helping other people that aren't Jesus disciples. Um, number one, here's some. What do we do with this passage? How does this help us? Let me suggest three things. You might have other things that God spoke to you already. Here's three things. Number one, let your acts of love reassure your heart that you're saved. This is First John three seventeen. Check this out. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need, but has no pity on him, that's compassion. How can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words and tongue, but with actions and truth. This then is how we know that we belong to the truth. This is how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. Whenever our hearts condemn us, for God is greater than our hearts, and he knows everything. Have you ever been doubtful that you're really saved because you sin? I sin you sin. We all do. Have you ever worried that maybe this is not the real deal? Well, God says you ought to take a look at your actions. Are you behaving like a merciful sheep? Are you doing kind things to other people? Are you helping people in need? When you see see people that don't have what they need, does your heart break? Or does your heart become hard? Because if your heart breaks... And if you take action to help those in need, you can reassure yourself and say, I am a Christian because God has given me a spirit-born compassion for other people. That's God. That's God. If you ever worry that you're not saved, remember this. You're a sheep because you act like one. You help people. God doesn't want us to dwell with this doubt. That's not his will for you. Number two, um, you take action to help the king's family and his future family. Now, I'm not sure if Jesus meant this exact thing, but it's a good application. It's a biblical application of what Jesus said. Because check out First Peter 2.12. And Jesus said stuff like this too, just so we know. Uh, Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. So yes, I'll say it again, I said it last time, I'm going to say it again this week. Many times it's very good to be seen doing good works. The problem is if you have a heart that wants to be seen, that's a problem. If your heart wants to be seen, wrong, that's pride. But doing good things that are seen is awesome because other people see it and they want what you've got. Why are this person so compassionate? Why are they helping so many people? Why don't I want to help people? Why am I so selfish? Well, it's because you're not a merciful sheep yet. Have it. By faith, you'll be saved. He'll change your heart. So, when you help somebody in need, you don't know whether maybe they're in the king's family yet or not. Maybe one day they will be in the king's family. And what you have done is help them along the path because they've never yet seen a merciful, compassionate Christian and then when you do it, it's like they've experienced Jesus do it, right? So I'm no judge. Some people say they're Christians, and they're probably not. Uh, one of the things we often saw on campus at Moody Bible Institute in Chicago is people would find their way on campus, and they knew where they were. Like, they, they, they knew that they were on a, a Christian college campus with people trained to be pastors and missionaries and leaders in ministry, and so they, would, they, they almost had like a rehearsed thing. You, you, they'd come up to you and say, Oh, God bless you, brother. I'm so glad he's brought me to you today. I don't know their heart. I'm not the judge. Maybe God did send them. I suspect some of them are just goats that want help. Some of them I ended up helping. Typically I didn't hand them cash. Usually I asked them what they needed. And then I tried to go out and get it for them. <laughs> That's sometimes a better way to do it than you know where the money is actually going. I don't know who's in the king's family, but I know that when you serve, more people will become part of the king's family. I know that. Uh, thirdly, um, you might be one of the least of these, which means you're Jesus to other people. You might be the one who's not making, not uh, coming up at the end of the month with enough money. The bills aren't, you're not meeting your bills. You don't have the foods you need. And and maybe that's made you feel bad. You may be one of the least of these and one of us here is supposed to be the one to come to you and help. Because you're going to be Jesus to that person. You're going to be Jesus to that person. It's not lost on me that many times when we help people, we learn from them. Like we're helping them, but we learn from them? It takes away our superiority, you know? It just kind of washes that thing away, and you're like, oh, wow. And they are like Jesus to us. And they do teach us things. But here's what I know. If if there's a person in need that's a believer, they're part of the king's family. If you shut them out, you're shutting Jesus out. If they're starving, then Jesus is starving. And all around the world today, Jesus is starving. What will you do? Jesus is hurting. What will you do? Jesus is hungry. What will you do? It's not the basis of your salvation, but it proves it. Let's pray. Worship team, come on up. Father... Um,